0: So uh, today we have the chance to spend a day um, watering seeds of love in ourselves and in each other, practicing gratitude, and uh, exploring together what it means to practice generosity Uh, both in terms of giving and receiving. So I want to speak about that this morning and then we'll have the chance to, to do different practices uh, throughout the day um, exploring generosity. And it would be lovely if I could see everybody. I don't know if it, we can... <laughs> Thank you. So the thanks. The teaching of uh, generosity, which is dana, the word is dana in uh, Sanskrit and Pali. It's part of uh, uh, the Buddha's teaching on the six paramitas, and uh, the paramitas uh, are also known as the perfections, and. Uh, the word in the Chinese character is uh, to cross over to the other shore, this word. And um, so this other shore is the shore of liberation, of peace, of freedom, of non-fear. And so the six paramitas in that, Theravadin tradition, they're ten. In the Mahayana tradition, they're taught as six. Um, the six paramitas are practices that we can bring into our daily lives to help us touch and taste liberation and freedom. So this is from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's book, The Heart of the Buddhist Teachings. To cross over, we have to do something, and that is called a paramita. We return to ourselves and practice mindful breathing, looking at our suffering, anger, and depression, and smile. Doing this, we overcome our pain and cross over. We can practice perfection every day. So it's an action, paramita, it's a verb, more than a noun. He continues, Please practice crossing over to the other shore whenever you feel the need. The Buddha said, Don't just hope for the other shore to come to you. If you want to cross over to the other shore, the shore of safety, well-being, non-fear and non-anger. You have to swim or row across. You have to make effort. This effort is the practice of the six paramitas. So the six are taught as giving. Generosity is often taught as the first one. And then the mindfulness trainings. And the practice of ethics, of sila, right conduct. And then inclusiveness, also uh, equanimity. And then diligence, which is also one of the aspects of the Eightfold Path, right effort. And meditation, concentration and then understanding, insight. So, dana translated as giving, offering, generosity. Um, Many of us who may have been raised in the Judeo-Christian framework um, may have a, a an association with giving that comes with a sense of duty and some kind of heaviness like I, I I should in order to be a good person I need to do this or this is what's expected of me and, and maybe that has a role, maybe there's some element of training in that that's helpful, that's useful especially to get us over moments of of close-heartedness, <laughs> but I, I think, for me, what resonates in my heart when I think of um, maybe a deeper expression of generosity is when when it really comes from the heart. It's not forced. It's not out of a sense of of duty or I need to do this to be a good person. But really, like, no, no question, no thought, no planning, no um, no strategy. <laughs> This wish to give. And um, without without uh, much attachment to what follows, you know, to how the person will respond, to what we might receive in return, but just I want to give. Really from our heart. So in, in the book The Heart of the Buddha's Teaching says, to give, first of all, means to offer joy, happiness, and love. And he tells the story of this plant in Asia, which is a member of the onion family. Every time you cut it, it grows back within 24 hours, even more. It becomes fuller and stronger. And he says that's a very perfect example of, of dana, the dana paramita is the more you give, the stronger and more you have to give. And the more you give of yourself, the more it comes back to you, and the more you have to give. Because we know bringing happiness to others, we bring happiness to ourselves, because we're not separate from others. So this is also from Thai. He says, In Buddhism, we say there are three kinds of gifts. The first is the gift of material resources. The second is to help people rely on themselves, to offer them the technology and know-how to stand on their own feet. Helping people with the Dharma so they can transform their fear, anger, and depression belongs to the second kind of gift the gift of the Dharma. And the third is the gift of non-fear. We are afraid of many things. We feel insecure, afraid of being alone, afraid of sickness and dying. So to help people not to be destroyed by their fears, we practice the third kind of gift-giving. So let's just take that in with a few breaths. Three different ways of giving. Material, gifts, gifts of the Dharma, gifts of non-fear. So I'll speak about each of these, hopefully we'll have time. (laughs) Material giving. There's a story of the Buddha uh, about to give a Dharma talk, and someone comes to listen to the talk who's obviously um, very hungry and very uh, in need, maybe a homeless person or someone that's very destitute. And the Buddha says, please give this man some food before we have the Dharma talk. So the Buddha understands that you can't receive the Dharma if you're hungry. If your body hasn't received material (laughs) basics, it's very difficult to receive the Dharma. So the man was fed and then came back and then the Buddha gave the talk. So I like this story very much. Buddha is so practical. You know, <laughs> it's like the, the Black Panthers, the free breakfast program. You can't learn if you're hungry. You know, they were practicing the first first kind of gift, the material. So I have been practicing um, longer silent retreats in the Vipassana tradition for the last few years and um, at the Insight Meditation Society in in Barrie, Massachusetts. And really, um, I've received a lot from those uh, experiences. And at the end of of one of the uh, retreats, so Joseph Goldstein is the the teacher that's always there throughout the whole of these uh, three-month retreats. And he shared at the end that one of his main practices is, um, is around generosity. And the way he practices is when he has an impulse to give something, he tries to do it and really follow through because he notices that there are lots of other second... Uh, second thoughts that come up after this first impulse to give, which is like, well, I can't really afford that, or oh, I'm not sure. Maybe I'll give a little less than I <laughs> first was inspired to give. You know, we have all these ways of backtracking or, you know, second guessing ourselves. And so he tries to stick with the first impulse, whatever it is that comes from this real, like I spoke at the beginning, this real, like, oh, I want to offer this. It's just from the heart, without any calculation. And so he tries to stick with that rather than be swayed by the maybe the more ego influenced uh, thoughts that come after, that try to, you know, finagle things so that they're they're just right for us. (laughs) And and I found that a very beautiful uh, teaching for myself, and I try to do that. If I have an impulse to give something, I try to do it <laughs> and not let myself get pulled or swayed by other secondary thoughts around that. And it's very interesting, since I have been looking at that, to see all the thoughts that do come up after the first wish to give, you know, all the more kind of, I guess, stingy thoughts <laughs> or, or fearful thoughts, you know? Like, can I really afford this, or what if I need it later, or, you know? So it's, it's been very instructive for me to see that, like this dance inside of heart opening, heart contracting. You know. So I had a beautiful experience of this. I, I was at the last second half of their three-month retreat this past fall. And um, at the end of the retreat, they give a talk each each time about dana and encouraging us to give because the teachers rely on that for their livelihood they offer the teachings for free the fee that we pay is just for the room and board and then the dana for the teachers is based on whatever people feel they want to give and so i had picked a number already at the beginning of the retreat that felt right to me you know. And then I listened to this talk and then I thought about all that I received from the retreat and I thought about, I did the math. I said, if everyone gave what I was planning to give and then they divided it times seven teachers, So that's how many teachers, and I thought, oh, that's not very much for each teacher. <laughs> and, uh, and then I just was thinking, and I received so much and I decided to increase my, I almost doubled what I was planning to give. I increased what I was planning to give by, I think, $200, that was the amount I went up to. And I was kind of surprised at myself, because it felt like that was a lot for me, in terms of what I earn. But it felt right. I felt, no, I've received so much, and I really want them to have, um, to receive back from all of us, and... um, So I so I gave that much, and um, and I had happened to be uh, leading chanting in the evenings at the retreat, and the last evening I I offered a special chant in gratitude to everyone, uh, was the discourse on love from our tradition, and the next morning, someone who I didn't know. Oh, I had just had a conversation with them the day before, we had, had a beautiful conversation. I was eating breakfast and she puts an envelope right near me as I'm eating breakfast and says, a little change for your pocket in, in gratitude for your chanting last night. So I'm thinking, okay, it's a few dollars, you know, like a little change for my pocket. <laughs> I open up the envelope and it was exactly $200. <laughs> It was like a little change <laughs> but it was so uh, amazing to me that the exact amount that I decided to just gush you know the gushing over the not very rational amount that I decided to go over was exactly what I received the very next day out of the blue you know and she told me well she had received that as a gift for her retreat, and she didn't need it. She didn't use it, so she wanted to pass it on to whoever might use it. So was this lovely chain, you know, of giving and receiving. And this, you know, I I don't know, but I I think if I wouldn't have given that extra $200, (laughs) I bet you I wouldn't have gotten it back. (laughs) I don't know, it's just a guess, but, you know, it's just, it's coming back to this um, this teaching of follow your impulse. Don't shut down. You know, For me it's really about being in the flow. Things are moving all around and through us and we have to let them move, not block the flow. Because when you have the impulse, that may not even be from you. It may be something coming through you and if you decide, no, I can't afford to do that, you're blocking something. So it's like Be in the flow, because then things can have a chance to come back to you, you know? So I have a lovely story of this also. I went to the Parliament of World Religions um, at uh, Salt Lake City this past October. Like 10,000 people for five days from all over the world, all different traditions. Beautiful presentations. I went to a workshop on healing our hearts at Wounded Knee. It was a panel about um, intergenerational trauma after the massacre at Wounded Knee. And uh, this one woman who was half African American, half Native American, Audrey Scott Williams, who is a peace walker. She's walked all over this country, she's walked all over six continents for peace. And she told this story of being in Australia, you know, on this peace walk, and this group of people um, who were walking every day. They would have a kind of prayer circle in the evening, just you know, create their intentions for the next day, and and they you know had a tradition or a, a ritual they developed of asking for what they needed because they were relying on people's generosity every day for food. For they didn't. I don't think they traveled with money. So it was completely this dance of flow, you know, trusting and allowing things to come in and asking for what they needed. So she told this story at this panel presentation about how tired they would be at the end of the day. They were staying in tents. So she, she said, oh, it would be really nice to have chairs so that we can watch the sunrise and when we come back to our tent at night we can you know, take off our shoes and you know sit comfortably and one of the other uh, folks on her peace walk group team also said yeah I really miss almonds I'd really like some almonds." <laughs> so they were like well we're just gonna throw it out there you know just we're asking for stuff I'll just ask for almonds so they went to bed <laughs> next morning looked right outside their tent were two chairs and some almonds <laughs> <laughs> so you know it works <laughs> And you know this whole experience of flow is really a, a non-self practice and and reality that you know giving is receiving receiving is giving they're not separate I remember uh, I was a nun for 15 years in Thich Nhat Hanh's um, monastic community, and we had the chance to travel to Vietnam several times. And On one trip, we organized alms rounds where we um, took our alms bowls and walked through the city of Hue. This was the central city, the city in the center of Hue, which was a uh, place of lots of devout Buddhist practice with many temples and a long tradition of, of Buddhist practice. And And so, you know, we were lining up several hundred monastics in our alms bowls, and everyone had been informed and so many people came out to the main street that we were processing down and had prepared things maybe the night before. and. Um, these were very humble people you know very poor compared to many of us Westerners who had grown up with so much privilege and um, and they were overjoyed to be able to give to us they made them their, their best delicacies you know and so you know the nun's bowl was about that that big. (laughs) The monks was about that big. (laughs) They're they're bigger, (laughs) they eat more food. (laughs) But I had this little bowl like this and and very soon, you know, it was a very long... Walk that we had, but, but you know, people were just cramming the food in, like, no, but there's still a little space I can fit this. And when our bowls were, like, already overflowing, because you're supposed to put the lid on the bowl, and we couldn't put the lid on anymore. <laughs> when the bowl was overflowing, they started to give us plastic bags that they would hang on our, on our wrists, and then they could put more food in there. But you could see there was just a delight in being able to give. This, you know, with communism and this alms round didn't happen very much anymore. So it was a real chance for people to, to offer. And I felt in the receiving how much I was was giving by giving them a chance to offer. Um, it was so moving. Um, so I just want to ask us to, to come back into our own experience and. Just maybe uh, close your eyes and think of a time that you gave something freely or received something from someone else that had no strings attached to it. Just a real, real gift of love, gift from the heart. Just like that, not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, but because they just wanted to give, just because. either something you received or something you gave and just feel into that memory what did it feel like to give or to receive in this way How did it affect your body? Where did you feel it in your body? just enjoy that and taste that. Allow, Allow it to really nourish you, really savor that. And have it really land in your body now. Because this giving and receiving, it happens through bodies. It's a physical embodied thing. Bodies that give. Bodies that receive. Bodies that are generous. So you can open your eyes. Just notice that So in the, in the liturgy, uh, in the chants in our tradition, there's a, a line about praising the sangha, and it says the sangha that is worthy of offering, worthy of great respect, worthy of admiration. And there are teachings that say great benefit is said to come from making offerings to those who practice diligently and wholeheartedly so it's always this give and take we we offer also because we're receiving the gift of the Dharma right? we want to support those who who offer the Dharma by offering what material things we have So. I had a lot of wonderful mentors in the community, uh, dharma teachers, lay dharma teachers, who helped me in this transition from monastic back to lay life. And one of the things um, one of my mentors suggested I do as part of my ceremony, I made a little ceremony of re-entering lay life, she said was to, um, to become a monthly donor to the Thich Han Foundation, which was set up to support the monastics, as well as the, the many other practice uh, uh, communities all around the world, um, to support retreats, to support people to go on retreats. But, so I felt that was a very beautiful um, switch over, <laughs> like my, one of my first steps leaving monastic lives to become a contributor to support the monastic, to support the to support the community that had been supporting me for so many years. Um, And uh, yeah, that that's sort of, in the Buddhist lineage, that's kind of the the role of the householding folks you know, is to help keep that alive. And so to kind of enter that stream as soon as leaving the monastic stream, you know, through, through that gesture. And, um, and thus, so it's a small amount that I just was able to contribute every month, but already it's um, come back to me in, in so many ways through the support of the foundation for um, retreats Maricela and myself have done for people of color, for for social justice activists that needed extra support for scholarships, for transportation. So again, this, <laughs> this experience of intervening and flow, So maybe many of you have, are reading and aware of the huge amount of research and study that's being done on positive psychology and happiness, especially with mindfulness and uh, cultivating the paramitas, although that's not the language they use in the <laughs> scientific research. But I, I read this on the Huffington Post blog how random acts of kindness can benefit your health. So with this is, again, like how giving and receiving are one. So I'm going to read this to you. This is from the, uh, a writer, Priya Advani. She writes, research reveals that doing good deeds or kind acts can make socially anxious people feel better. For four weeks, the University of British Columbia researchers assigned people with high levels of anxiety to do kind acts for other people at least six times a week. The acts of kindness included things like holding the door open for someone, doing chores for other people, donating to charity, or buying lunch for a friend. The researchers found that doing nice things for people led to a significant increase in people's positive moods it also led to an increase in relationship satisfaction and a decrease in social avoidance in socially anxious individuals people who engage in kind acts become happier over time says Sonia Liu-Bormirski, PhD a professor of psychology when you are kind to others you feel good as a person more moral optimistic and positive and she found that performing other positive acts once a week led to the most happiness. According to Dr. David R. Hamilton, acts of kindness create an emotional warmth which releases a hormone known as oxytocin. Oxytocin causes the release of a chemical called nitric oxide which dilates the blood vessels. This reduces blood pressure, and therefore oxytocin is known as a cardioprotective hormone. It protects the heart by lowering blood pressure. Researcher Stephen Post of Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine serves as president of the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love. Isn't that a great institute? (laughs) I would like to work there. (laughs) Which conducts and funds research on altruism, compassion, and service. His research shows that when we give of ourselves, especially if we start young, everything from life satisfaction to self-realization and physical health is significantly improved. Mortality is delayed. Depression is reduced. And well-being and good fortune are increased that's pretty cool (laughs) that this is like being studied by science I mean it's like things we all know right we all have experienced these things for ourselves but it's very um, some nice confirmation to see it in a study So there's some beautiful teachings in Buddhism about the oneness of giver and receiver. Um, there's a there's a gatha, a, a, a mindfulness poem. You know, there's in the Thich Nhat Hanh tradition. There's little poems that you say for everything you do throughout the day to help you be really aware of doing that thing. So there's one for holding your alms bowl that says, The bowl of the Tathagata, the Buddha, is in my two hands, giver, receiver, and gift, held in perfect oneness. I like this, no distinction between giver and receiver. And in the Diamond Sutra, the Buddha speaks about this. Very beautifully, um, that we have to give without being caught in form. That we don't give with this notion that I'm giving and you're receiving. That there's no other to give to. We aren't caught in a in a sense of a separate self when we give. So this is from the Diamond Sutra. <clears throat> it's a conversation he's having with subuti one of the disciples. He says, Moreover, Subhuti, when a bodhisattva practices generosity, he does not rely on any object. That is to say, she does not rely on any form, sound, smell, taste, tactile object, or Dharma to practice generosity. That, Subhuti, is the spirit in which a bodhisattva should practice generosity, not relying on signs. Why? If a bodhisattva practices generosity without relying on signs, the happiness that results cannot be conceived of or measured. And a little bit later, the Buddha says, Subhuti, if a a bodhisattva does not rely on any concept when practicing generosity, then the happiness that results from that virtuous act is as great as space cannot be measured so there's a a quote from Leela Watson an Australian Aboriginal activist Maybe many of you have heard it she says if you've come to help me you're wasting your time if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine then let us work together. Right. So I had the chance to hear Tara Brock a few nights ago in Washington DC where I'm living now. She uh, told a story in her talk about a friend of hers who had recently become a doula. You know, doulas are birth assistants, right? But in this case he was learning to be a doula to assist people to die I guess, I hadn't learned that meaning of the word doula, but it's also a transition, assistant. So he especially uh, was trained and wanted to focus on being a, a doula for low-income people who didn't have family to support them. And the first person he was uh, going to uh, serve was an elderly man who had uh, some kind of throat cancer that prevented him from being able to speak. So he arrived, and um, the man was gesturing to something, and very intently. And um, this doula was was trying to, you know, pointing at this, pointing at that, trying to understand what it was the man was was wanting to communicate. And finally, the doula went and, and helped the man get up so he could. Make clear what he wanted, and he was. He pointed to the refrigerator in his apartment, and then he pointed to the doula. And he was saying, "You eat, you know. I want you to eat." So this doula had come with this idea. Oh, let me help him, and I'm, you know, I'm a doula helping you, right? And then the the man was this very dignified host, not just this kind of two dimensional person in need, but someone in need who also wanted to give and to care for the doula. So we are we are all uplifted in giving. We are all receiving and giving all the time. So I, I thought of especially f- eating and food is a very profound and daily experience we all have that is an experience of generosity, of giving and receiving. I mean, it's so easy to take for granted, right? But it's really like every time we're hungry. Every time we put food in our mouth, that is other beings who have who are making this flesh, these flesh and bones possible. You know, the very earth, the sun, the whole cosmos is keeping us alive. It's not not any different from an umbilical cord to your mother's uterus. Right? And so I have a friend in, in uh, Tacoma Park in Washington, in up Maryland, and every morning she goes out and she puts some sunflower seeds or nuts on this little stone for the squirrels. That's that's her ritual practice every day to offer, to offer food for other beings. And when I was in college, I had a friend who was um, from the Pueblo Indian tribe. And whenever we would sit down to eat, she would always take a little tiny piece of, pinch of whatever it was we were eating, and she would blow on it and she would offer it. That we, in some symbolic way, we offer before we take of what we're eating. And uh, in the Zen tradition, the Japanese Zen tradition, in the formal meal, before everyone's seated with their food and before we begin to eat there's a bowl that's passed and everyone gives a tiny bit of their meal into that bowl and it's placed on the altar for the Buddha and the same in Plum Village, in formal lunch in our practice centers uh, there's some bit of food that is taken from the bowls and taken outside by a novice, and he does the, the chant, the little gatha for offering to the Garuda bird, from the story of the Buddha who, this Garuda bird was going to eat a snake, and the snake asked the Buddha, protect me, protect me. <laughs> so the Buddha protected the snake, but he had to give food to the Garuda bird too, because the bird needed to eat. So this tradition of At the formal meal putting some food outside for for other beings and a practice in in my family that I love to share with with friends is um, saying three things we're grateful for before we eat as a family so this time of eating is a very good moment to reflect on generosity. So there's also in, in understanding this interbeing around giving uh, it's a real invitation to to be humble. You know? I was I was walking home from the metro station a few weeks ago and there's a homeless woman who um, is often sitting in one of the um, doorways of the, the shops that I pass on my way home and it was a very cold day and she was huddled under layers of blankets um, and I stopped and I said can I get you something warm to drink something hot to drink. She said no maybe later <laughs> and I was like well do you need anything else can I get you anything else and I'm thinking you know food, something hot you know. she was like she pulls out a marker because I always saw her writing in her notebook. She would come into one of the cafes and sit there and write. Or she'd be out in the street, but she'd just write and write. So she pulled out this pen. I couldn't see her face. She just pulled out the pen. she was like, can you get me something exactly like this? I need a pen exactly like this. She's like, you can get it from CVS. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll go look for that. So I said, can you give me this one so I make sure to get exactly what you want? So she gave it to me. I went to CVS, and I, I looked, I looked. They didn't have the exact one, but it was something close, so I got Sharpie. She said, make sure it's a fine print. Fine, not the medium, but the fine. So I got fine Sharpie, two of them, and I brought them back to her. And... Uh, it was so nice to be able to give her what she wanted, not what I thought she needed. Mm-hmm. That was a lesson for me, cuz I thought surely she wants something hot to drink or but it was was wonderful that she could say no, I want this. <laughs> so this is the definition of metta, loving kindness, is to be able to actually make someone happy, not give them something that you think will make them happy, which may really not be what they need. <laughs> no? uh, so in, in psychosynthesis, which is a transpersonal psychology, um, the, the definition of humility is to be able to meet the needs of someone else as they see them, if it's practical for us. To, to see things from their shoes you know not give what we think they need but what they really need and so this practice of humility is also needed for being able to receive right that can be a very a very real edge for many of us who are used to being very self-sufficient and very independent to just allow people to give and help, to be humble enough to receive. Mm -hmm. So then there are obstacles to generosity. So the reason I wanted to to have this day be focused on generosity is because I don't find this an easy practice. And the more I can talk about it, and study, and look into it with people, then, then the more I grow. Because I, I can feel so well in myself what it feels like when my heart shuts down, when there, when there's this conflict inside, or this unwillingness to give. How contracted that feels, how painful that stinginess, or that um, that feeling I don't have enough, that I can't, or that fear, um, which is why the gift of non-fear is such an important gift, or even feeling that the other doesn't deserve it, or feeling resentful. Doing a whole character analysis, a whole balance sheet in my head. Well they did this and na 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 you know. <laughs> they did that to me and you know. Um, and just this big obstacle is just thinking we're separate, you know, that what concerns them doesn't concern me. I don't need to worry about that. You know. Or feeling or feeling taken for granted, you know. This worry about will I have enough? So when I saw just kind of the the pain in myself around um, wanting, knowing how good it felt to be in the flow. And then seeing how painful it was in these moments where I couldn't trust or couldn't open my heart for whatever reason, you know. I really decided to, to, to take this year, 2016, to be one of looking at the practice of generosity. I felt it's it's a very good moment in my life, transitioning back into lay life and having all of these insecurities come up about money, around money and how do I live back in a financial reality that i didn't have to worry about very much as a nun and so i decided i will make 2016 this is my focus this year and also um, that i want to give 10 percent of what i earn and try to give 10 percent of my time in this year as a practice just to see what 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 does that feel like you know what is that like to just try to make that be a, a goal. Um, and speaking with Joseph Goldstein about this, uh, during the silent retreat, he was saying that this generosity is one of his main practices. He's been practicing for over 50 years, you know, very diligently, and that he feels like that's, that's where he really tries to practice generosity. And that for him the key is to really look at his motivation behind either wanting to give or not wanting to give. What's my motivation? And uh, something else he said that I found helpful is he said, and, and to just be clear about what our needs are. You know, if it's a, some kind of contract with someone that involves money, whether we're getting paid or whether we're paying but to just be clear what are our needs around that kind of at the outset so you know if we truly can't afford to give something that's not stinginess you know that's being responsible and taking care of ourselves so On the other side of this, there are lots of stories in the sutras about people who gave everything <laughs> for something very precious. Even in the Bible, right? There's a story of the man who sold everything when he found the treasure in the field. It's a, it's a parable about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that you you give up you give up everything to follow what's most important, what's most precious. And You know, in the Jataka tales, in the Buddhist sutras, all these stories of people who gave away what they couldn't afford to give away, right? But then they received much more back in return. People or beings who were willing to sacrifice their lives and received so much in return. But in these stories that are quite extreme, what's very important in all of them is to whom and what we are giving beyond our limits, right? It's some kind of offering to the enlightened energy around us or embodied in someone. Because to to give... Well, maybe you all know the phrase... Um, what is it, um, st- is it stupid compassion, is that the phrase? <laughs> Idiot compassion, thank you. <laughs> so there's ways that we can give or, or be kind that aren't fruitful. So there's a story also of Anattapindika, one of the Buddha's main lay disciples, a businessman. Um, he had a nephew who was a gambler and a, an alcoholic, and this nephew would always come to Annataapaika who was wealthy and ask for money and out of pity Anapapaika would always give him money and at a certain point he he saw that this wasn't helping his nephew and uh, he didn't want he felt it wasn't right to give anymore because he just kept he kept going in the direction of ruin and, and destruction. So he stopped giving to him and it turned out the nephew, became so destitute that he died and Anattapindika went to the Buddha and he, he, he asked the Buddha you know did I do the right thing and the Buddha said yes that kind of giving was not uh, was not helpful so you were right to not give anymore and that we can't we can't be responsible for other people's actions you know so um, there's intelligent giving and there's not intelligent giving there's beneficial giving there's unbeneficial giving so it's important to whom and to what we're giving and another obstacle to giving is that sometimes we don't have it in us to give because we're too depleted. We're not fresh. We haven't given enough to ourselves. And then we really need to to listen to that and give to ourselves, to take care of ourselves. When we're really tired everything can look bleak and and negative. And that's just because we are really at our limit. We are uh, starved. (laughs) And so the compassionate, wise thing is not to try to keep responding to needs outside of ourselves, but to really take good care of ourselves. And then, again, to be wise in this giving, to give what we need. What do we really need, not necessarily what we want. So I, I like to think of us as being um, parents to ourselves, you know, good parents, who are able to, to distinguish and to guide in a healthy way. You know, like, it's, it's great to eat that cookie. Because you know? cookies are wonderful you know in moderation you know? <laughs> so we can give those moments to ourselves we can have that sense of um, benevolent indulge- indulgence or <laughs> indulging our our wants but to a degree you know in moderation So um, I read in a book recently, uh, I was a a doctor of Ayurvedic practice. I'm actually going to ask us all to stand up for this. Um, She was saying, there's a mudra for generosity. And she was saying one way to to strengthen this quality in ourselves is to practice this mudra, and so it's called the um, the varada mudra, and it's done with your left hand. Uh, you kind of, I guess, you can bend your elbow and then you extend your left hand, your palm with your fingers extended out like this. And she says it's good to practice this mudra regularly. To stand up, you'll see. Many Buddha statues making this mudra, and to reflect on what we want to to manifest in our lives around generosity as we do this mudra. So varada, so this is the gesture of generosity. Varada means giver of the best things. So again, this discernment about how we give, and this uh, mudra indicates the benevolence of a deity as. Um, as well as the teaching of the principle of generosity to all beings. So we're embodying generosity, and it's teaching generosity as well, instilling generosity in others. So the mudra symbolizes charity, compassion, and boon granting, so mm-hmm. <laughs> fulfilling others' wishes, <laughs> others helping people realize their, their desires. It is the mudra of the accomplishment of the, of the wish to devote oneself to human salvation. That's very deep. So it's nearly always made with the left hand and can be made with the arm hanging naturally at the side of the body, um, the palm of the open hand facing forward and the fingers extended, or, or like that, as we were doing. So you can see what you prefer. They also say uh, the five extended fingers in the mudra symbolize the five perfections we talked about paramitas, right? Generosity, morality, patience, effort, and meditative concentration. So those are five of the six paramitas we talked about at the beginning. The only one missing is insight, which maybe doesn't need a finger because it's <laughs> it includes everything. All right, so but the Virada Mudra, the generosity gesture also signifies offering, welcome, charity, compassion, and sincerity. It's nearly always shown, made with the left hand, uh, and uh, with, it's usually shown, uh, it's rarely seen without another mudra. So, to put that positively, it usually comes with your right hand also doing another mudra, which is the abhaya mudra which is the mudra of non-fear, which the Buddha on the altar is doing with his right hand. This is the mudra of non-fear. So you'll see standing Buddhas in Thailand and Laos and Cambodia with the right hand like this and the left hand down. So usually the Virada generosity mudra comes together with the mudra of non-fear, like this. Um, so let's just breathe like this and um, reflect on ways that we want to cultivate generosity and non-fear in our life. And am I seeing this correctly? Is he, is he doing that? Okay, so okay, so it's not the Abhaya Mudra. So you can do that. I'm not sure what that one means, but or you can do this, which is the Abh- Abhaya, non-fear mudra. So we'll just reflect as we breathe for a few breaths. So I'd like to invite us maybe to... Close our eyes and just take our right hand this gift of non-fear and just bring this gift into our heart center turning our palm of our right hand and covering our heart center and just offering ourselves this gift of non-fear and breathing that in Maybe there's something in your life that you are struggling with in this moment that you are fearful about or worried about or insecure about. And just allow this hand that is the hand of the Buddha to communicate non-fear to you around this fearful or insecure situation in your life. Allow it to tell you what you need to hear, to communicate whatever message of non-fear that would be helpful for you. And now bringing the left hand also up to your heart and allowing the left hand, which is also the hand of the Buddha, to offer you generosity. And just being aware of any situation in your life where you feel like you don't have enough or where you feel there's some lack or something you need and allow that hand to to offer you you yourself wholehearted unlimited generosity and receive from it whatever message you need around this area of your life where, where you feel that something is lacking or where you are in need or maybe some some wish to give that is difficult for you that is difficult to actualize allow this hand to to bring to you what you need to to put something in motion that's been difficult for you to do around generosity open our eyes and we can let our hands come down and I'm just going to invite us to um, to join hands with the people next to us maybe we'll have an inner circle and an outer circle and uh, Just feel in your two hands. You could close your eyes again if you want, and um, just bring your awareness to your heart center. Oh, actually. Okay. <sighs> So if you're not holding someone else in one of your hands, you can just visualize what I'm going to share. So bring your awareness to your heart center and, and notice your own breath. This heart center that has just received the The wisdom of non-fear and the wisdom of abundant generosity. So just bringing your awareness now to your right hand and being aware of the person's hand that you're holding in your right hand. Just noticing if it's a large hand or a small hand or a medium hand, whether it's warm or cool whether it's rough or smooth, hard or soft. Now just being aware of the whole person who's connected to you through your hands. A whole lifetime of a human being, all of their wishes, all of their desires, for what they want in their lives all the ways they want to give and receive a very precious human being unique unlike any other and just expressing your gratitude with a gentle uh, friendly squeeze their hand and bringing your awareness back to your heart center just noticing what's happening for you feeling your breath feeling your feet connected to the earth feeling your whole body and now bringing your awareness to your left hand and noticing the person's hand that you're holding if it's a large or small hand warm or cool rough or smooth hard or soft and being aware of the whole person next to you in all of their uniqueness and humanness this being that has never existed before and will never be there again in this very shape and form and nature with all the ways that they contribute And love and care—it's recognizing their preciousness and expressing your appreciation, your friendliness with a gentle squeeze, and bringing your awareness back to your heart center. And being aware of the whole circle that you're connected to and the preciousness of each person in the circle and sending a squeeze to everyone in the circle by squeezing both partners next to you knowing that you're connected and then if you're ready to open your eyes and just Look at the people you've been squeezing. <laughs> Just taking in faces and eyes. And so we can bring our palms to our All right, and just offer a bow to everyone. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.